Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you would, please take your Bibles now and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. And if we haven't met, my name is Eddie Pian. I serve as one of the pastoral interns here at Cornerstone. Uh, Pastor Andrew is out of town traveling right now. And so, as you can see, the interns have taken the opportunity to inflict ourselves on you again. Well, we are currently in a sermon series going through the book of 1 Timothy entitled, Living as God's Household. And we're exploring questions such as, what does it mean to live as the church, as the household of God? What is this communal life that we have as Christians supposed to look like? What do we owe one another? Well, it's in seeking to answer these kinds of questions that we come to our passage today in 1 Timothy 3 on the qualifications for deacons. What qualities does God desire in those who would serve his church as deacons? What role do deacons play in this communal life as God's household? And what does that have to do with the rest of us who aren't deacons? And these are some of the questions that we're going to try to answer today. Well, if you found your places, I invite you now to stand with me as we read and receive God's word together. 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13. Receive now God's word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower falls, but if the Lord remains forever, amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me as we ask for God's help? Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you are the living God who is here with us by your Holy Spirit. And you're speaking to us words that we need to hear. So help us now by your spirit to understand what you have said here. Lord, would you write this word on our hearts and help us to see Jesus in it this morning. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said a minute ago, the passage that we've just read contains the biblical qualifications for deacons. The passage before us is a list of qualities that a person has to have if he's going to serve the church as a deacon. But I admit that as I read these qualifications for deacons, I can't help but think of my own church cultural background. And I feel a bit of dissonance between what we read here and what I grew up with in church as a kid. Many of you, like me, grew up in the Korean immigrant church and know exactly what I'm talking about. In case you didn't, in the Korean church, the established practice is to use the word for deacon, jipsanim, to address virtually any adult in the church who's been attending for some time. There are ordained deacons, jipsanims, who serve as officers in the church. That distinction is made. But nearly any other adult who isn't a pastor or an elder 
is also addressed by this title, deacon. Men, women, people who serve, people who have never served the church a day in their life, everyone got this title, it seemed. If there was an adult in the church and you didn't know how to address them, odds were very high that the right way to address them was Chipsanim, deacon. You know, the joke in our church is that if you throw a rock, you're going to hit someone named Dan or Steve. Well, in a Korean church, if you throw a rock, you're going to hit somebody who's called Jipsanim, deacon. <clears throat> so I imagine that for many of us, if we were growing up in the Korean church, the only qualification that we were aware of for someone being a deacon was that they were an adult who attended your church. Now, on one hand, there is a very godly impulse behind this Korean church practice of calling everyone a deacon. I do want to honor that before we begin. We stand on the shoulders and the prayers of the Korean immigrant church. You know, the word deacon literally means servant. And I think it comes from a very godly impulse, a very godly attitude to have this constant reminder in the life of the church that we are all here to serve the kingdom. We are all here to serve Christ's church. We are all servants. That's a good thing. But at the same time, when we look at scripture, we see that this word deacon is used in a very particular way. It's used in a technical way. And we want to take our cues from scripture for how we use our language. We find that this word deacon is used to refer to one of the two offices in the church. There is an organizational structure to the church. Did you know that? Who's on top? Of course, it's Jesus. Jesus is on top. He's the head of the church. He's in charge. He's the one with authority. What we see in the Bible, and we see especially in this chapter of 1 Timothy, that Jesus exercises that authority through the officers of the church, through the elders and the deacons. Deacons are these officers in the church meaning they are specially designated church leaders. They have a specific function, specific responsibilities in this communal life of the church. And that's how scripture talks about deacons. It's a, it's a narrow use of that word. And as we see in our passage today, deacons are called to exhibit certain characteristics or qualifications as they discharge the duties of that office. We see this in just the regular rhythms of our church life. In our church, we currently have five deacons serving. I'm going to name drop them here. They are Elmer Kang, Dan Kim, Suyun Lee, Jung Kim, and Steve Kim. These men have been called to carry out the work of diaconal ministry for our members. And of course, several other men in our congregation were also recently nominated for the office of deacon. Again, to do this work of diaconal ministry. So the qualifications are relevant to what's going on in the life of our church now. We see these clear instructions in scripture on what sort of men these deacons should be. And of course, this is most directly relevant for the actual deacons or for those who aspire to be deacons. But remember that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable for us. This is God's word today for us. Um, so as we explore this passage today, I hope to show you how this passage bears on how the rest of us live and especially how we serve. Well, as we look at our passage, we see that it begins by saying, deacons likewise must be. 
And then Paul goes on to list the qualifications. Uh, but you'll notice immediately that Paul doesn't actually take any time to explain what deacons are. Uh, he presupposes that Timothy already knows, because he does, and then he goes right into the qualifications. Uh, but for us, uh, before we take a look at the actual qualifications, uh, I think we would actually benefit a lot from revisiting what the Bible has to say about what deacons are and what deacons do. We need to fill out that background um, that Paul is just assuming here. Because if we're talking about what qualities make a good deacon, we're going to have to know what deacons are and what they do. I can tell you that a hammer should have the qualities of being sturdy and hard and easy to grip. But you only really understand the point of those qualifications if you know that a hammer is used for hammering in nails and you need to hold it, and, um, and etc. So we want to know what deacons are about in order to better appreciate the qualifications. And for that, I'd like us to turn to a very important companion passage for the qualifications for deacons. And that is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. It's actually going to function as our secondary text for today. It's the origin story for how deacons came to be a thing in the church. So as we consider this background, this is going to be my first heading. What are deacons and what do they do? What are deacons and what do they do? And actually, for this first part of the sermon, we're going to camp out there in Acts 6 because it is just such important background. But we'll, we will get back to 1 Timothy. So Acts 6, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the distribution of food to those who didn't have it. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Ordination. And so this is how the office of deacon started. In the earliest days of Christianity, the apostles made a point not of, of not just preaching, but also attending to believers' physical needs. You see, the passage mentions widows. You know, these are women who have had to endure not only the tragedy of losing their husbands, but also the economic fallout of losing the breadwinner of their household. No one is supporting them anymore. They were extremely socially disadvantaged. And the apostles saw that, and what did they do? They took it upon themselves as part of gospel ministry to take care of these widows' physical needs because there is no such thing as faith that doesn't act. If the apostles preached good news, but ignored people's physical needs, that would be totally inconsistent and hypocritical. And this makes me think of the, it actually makes me think of the first generation of Korean pastors in America. Um, if, if you, perhaps you've heard stories, in addition to doing their work of pastoral ministry, preaching, praying, etc., they 
pretty much acted like full-time social workers as well. You know, my dad tells me the story when he, when he immigrated to the States with his family, he was 16, they lived for a few months in Jersey City before moving down to Cherry Hill. And my dad's family has never been able to forget the pastor at the Korean church that they attended, and how he was just instrumental in getting them settled. And he registered my dad and his siblings in public school. He took them out for their first McDonald's. Now, this is decidedly not spiritual work, right? It was very material. And yet, at the same time, there's something unmistakably spiritual about it. It was motivated by the love of Christ. It communicated the love of Christ. It made my dad's family feel the love of Christ. It was, it was physical work, but it was spiritual. Physical ministry was needed because there, there was physical need that my dad's family had being you know, these new immigrants who didn't know anyone. And so like the apostles in Acts 6, this pastor carried out that physical ministry himself. Well, that's what the apostles were doing. But as the early church grew, the needs of people within the church grew as well. And it came to be so much, there were so many people in need that the apostles were having to give up preaching in order to distribute food. That was a problem. If they couldn't preach, if they couldn't tell people about Jesus, that would defeat the whole purpose of their ministry. But they also can't not feed the people. So, so what did they do? They delegated. Principles of good leadership. It always comes down to delegation. They ordained seven godly men to do this work of distributing food to the widows, this physical work physical ministry, and that allowed the apostles to focus on their main ministry responsibilities, which were prayer and the ministry of the word. Both of these things needed to be done. The apostles knew you can't have a church where you're missing either the, the spiritual uh, ministry, the ministry of the word, or the physical ministry. You have to have both. That was important to them. <clears throat> You have to have both of these for a consistent gospel living. So they found people to attend to those different responsibilities. And the guys who did the physical ministry became the first deacons. That's the origin story for deacons. And it shows us what the office of deacon is most fundamentally about. And we should have an understanding of that if we're going to understand the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy. Yeah, I don't know what your understanding of diaconal ministry is, but I think oftentimes all that we see or hear about is that they maintain the church finances or they're responsible to maintain the church facilities. You know, but biblically speaking, deacons are not just treasurers or janitors. The whole reason why Jesus established this office of deacon in the church is that he cares for the physical needs of his people to be met. That is a priority to Jesus. And so he has made it a priority in the church by instituting this office of deacon. Jesus' design in church government, in church leadership, is to exercise his own physical care for the children of God through the deacons. If there's anybody in the church who lacks food, anyone who can't afford basic living expenses, then it would be a failure to live out our gospel identity and our duty to one another if the church did not somehow step in to fill that need. 
And one of my professors in seminary put it like this. You know, Christians are facing the difficulties of life in a fallen world. That's why there are things like hunger and poverty and tragedy. All of these are features of living in a fallen world. And in Jesus's design, the deacons are to be the ones who step in when these things happen. You know, if the church is a car and the people are the passengers, the deacons are the shock absorbers. You know, sometimes we experience crashes in life, a sudden death, death of a parent, right? The loss of a job, prolonged seasons of material lack. Well, Jesus has set deacons and diaconal ministry in the church so that the church body can absorb the blows for these individuals. Yes, deacons also do administrative things like finances in order to free up the elders to do their work. That's really important. We need that. And it frees up the, yeah, it frees up the ministers of the word to do the ministry of the word and prayer. But Christ has determined that we need deacons in the church because the church needs to meet its members in their material need. So very briefly, an implication for life our bodily lives and needs are meaningful, and the existence of the office of deacons affirms that. Jesus cares about the material things as well. He, Jesus does not over-spiritualize. So I'll wrap up this first section with this very simple application. Members of Cornerstone, if you find yourself ever in any physical need, Please seek out the help of the deacons, because that's literally what they're there for. It would be a shame, a shame on all of us if members of the body had to suffer the shocks of life all on their own. Well, now that we've talked about what deacons are and what they do, hopefully we'll be able to make better sense of the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3. So we're going to look at those qualifications now, back to 1 Timothy, our second heading, what qualities should a deacon have? What qualities should a deacon have? Well, Paul gives us here in verses 8 to 12 of our chapter a list of things that deacons must be. What I'm going to do is I'm going to comment on each of them very briefly, and then I'm going to make just some general observations at the end. So I'm going to go fast. Buckle up. Verse 8. Deacons likewise must be, first qualification, dignified. If you're a deacon, or if you want to be a deacon, you must be honorable and worthy of respect. You should be a person of character that others in the church can look up to. Being dignified means you don't act childishly or shamefully or immaturely. Second qualification, not double-tongued. The Greek here literally says not two-worded means you don't say one thing to one person and say something totally different to another person. You don't say to someone who's in need, I have compassion for you, and then insult them behind their back and say, what a mess that person is. You are sincere. You have integrity of speech. Third qualification, not addicted to much wine. That means you do not struggle with substance abuse. By all means, enjoy drinks in moderation. Give thanks to God for them, but do not let them be your master. It means you have self-control and discipline when it comes to your body. 
You know how to say no and deny yourself when the moment calls. Fourth, not greedy for dishonest gain. It means you're not in it for yourself when you become a deacon. You don't do it for power or influence in the church. If you're going to be doing this work of diaconal ministry, which consists of serving brothers and sisters in need, you've got to be generous, not greedy. You need to be others-oriented, not self-oriented. Fifth qualification, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What this means is that you need to understand the gospel and you have to believe it for yourself. You need to understand that in your greatest need, Jesus has met you, right? Because the heart of Christ is to move toward those who suffer. You need to have grasped that that's what Jesus has done for you. And that's what diaconal ministry calls you to do for those who are in need in your church. Sixth qualification, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Deacons should not be new converts. You need to have a proven track record if you're going to serve. We need to have seen that you can be trusted to serve others. Perhaps we've seen that you've already taken it upon yourself to serve the church in whatever ways are appropriate and needed before you even have an official capacity do that. Blameless here does not mean sinless. There is plenty of grace if you make mistakes, but it does mean there are no patterns of behavior that should make us hesitate about you serving. And the next verse is actually very interesting. It says, their wives likewise, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And this seems kind of sudden, right? Like, why is Paul talking about deacons' wives all of a sudden? You know, why would their wives' character matter for diaconal ministry? There is controversy among interpreters over women can hold the ordained office of deacon. Now, since Pastor Andrew is going to deal directly with the topic of gender roles in the church in a few weeks, I'm going to defer to him to hash that out. Not because I'm chicken. I would still be happy to talk about it with you after service. You're very welcome to do that. But I will say now is that no matter which side of the debate that interpreters land on when it comes to the gender roles, most everyone agrees that when Paul mentions wives or women in this verse, just in the middle of the context of talking about deacons, he is affirming that women should somehow be involved in the work of diaconal ministry. Whether that's as officers or not is debated. Our church, our denomination lands on one side of the issue. But almost everyone understands Paul as saying here that women's contribution to diaconal ministry is needed in the church. There are just, and there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in this. There are just some areas of material need where having a, a woman to carry that ministry out will just be much more appropriate. Um, so that is needed. And Paul's mention of wives here, I think scholars agree, no matter where they land on the gender roles issue, they agree that Paul affirms that need for women in, in this diaconal ministry. Um, I'll leave it at that. But again, you're very welcome to come chat with me about that after service if you'd like. And we move on now to the final qualification for deacons, verse 12. 
Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Where the English says the husband of one wife, the Greek literally says one woman man. This isn't saying you have to be married to be a deacon, but it does mean that you need to live by a Christian ethic of marriage, a Christian sexual ethic. You abstain from sexual immorality. If you're married, you live as a one-woman man and not a many-woman man. It means you don't flirt with other women and seek out their attention. You honor your wife and you're faithful to her. You love her like Christ loves the church. Also, living as a one-woman man means you do not live as a zero-woman man. You don't neglect your wife, but you love her. Her concerns are your concerns. And you manage your children and your own household well. If you're going to lead and especially serve in the household of God, you need to lead and serve first in your own household. Now, those are the qualifications for deacons. We did go through that rather quickly. Uh, but I want to make uh, two general comments just to wrap these all together. First, these qualifications show us that the office of deacon, just like the office of elder, as we heard last week from Pastor Isaac, it's a high calling. I don't know if you felt it as I was going through. I felt it. I felt burdened by this list. Being a deacon is a high calling. It's hard not to fall short somewhere in this list. But please don't be discouraged. Need to make a very important clarification here because the qualifications for deacons are not the qualifications for being a Christian. Don't get that confused. The qualifications for deacons are not the qualifications for being a Christian. What are the qualifications for being a Christian? There's two things. One, you're a sinner. You've messed up. And two, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as the solution to your sin problem. So think of the qualities that we've just heard in this passage and think of the opposites. Undignified people, liars, addicts, greedy people. Jesus invites all of them to come. Right? The door is wide open for anyone who will come to Jesus. That's the gospel, right? But our passage does show us that while the door is open wide for anyone for forgiveness, the door is not open so wide for those who would be deacons in the church. You know, even if you don't meet these qualifications, if you are a believer, you are fully loved in Christ. Your future is secure in heaven with God. But when it comes to holding office in the church, if you don't meet these qualifications, we would have to say, hold on, we're glad you want to serve, but maybe now is not the time because it is a high calling. And with that, the specific application that I think is most appropriate here is I want to specifically encourage the deacons of our church at this point. Um, so to the deacons of our church, in nominating and then electing you to be deacons here, uh, the membership of our church has agreed that we think you meet these qualifications. And that goes for those who were just nominated as well. When we have read this list of qualifications, we have thought of you. 
Now, none of you meets these qualifications perfectly, but if perfection was a standard, we would never have any deacons. No, there's grace. The overall shape of your life and character, we think fits with what we read here in this passage. So deacons be encouraged. God is doing a good work in you as individuals. We've seen some of the fruit. So keep pressing on to be men who embody these characteristics. You might fall off at some point, but that's okay. Lean on the grace of God and his satisfaction in Christ when you stumble. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your help. But honor your calling. It is high. That's my first general comment. Here's my second general comment about these qualifications. The qualifications are generic and spiritual. Did you notice that? You notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say deacons need to be very financially savvy. Deacons need to be great organizers. No, he says they need to be dignified, sincere, self-controlled, selfless, faithful. What are these? These are just generic spiritual qualifications. These are marks of Christian character. These are just plain old fruits of the, the Holy Spirit. There is nothing specialized to diaconal ministry here. Nothing that even alludes to giftedness. It's all to do with Christian character. Everything that Paul has listed here is just marks of Christian maturity. And because of that, the qualifications for deacons, I think this is legitimate. These are things that every Christian should strive to be as we seek to become more mature in the faith. You know, Paul could have just left it at deacons must be mature believers. He would have been, you know, he would have gotten the same essential point across. But for our sake, to help us out, to concretize things, he spells out what that looks like and he gives us this list of qualifications for deacons. Here are the signs. So there is another implication for all of us that comes out of this. You know, whether you aspire to ever become a deacon or not, if you are a Christian, you should aspire to these characteristics, even if you never aspire to the office. Again, we need to be careful. We need to remember the gospel. Meeting these qualifications cannot make Jesus love us any more or any less. To try to do this thinking that it'll make Jesus love you more is entirely the wrong motivation. We need to remember the gospel. But that said, we do want to live out these characteristics for the sake of Christian maturity. And we lean on the Holy Spirit to do that work of renovation in us. We have a good list here of qualities to strive for, and you don't need to be a deacon to benefit from it. Well, now we move to our final considerations of the qualifications for deacon. Why do these qualifications matter for us? Why do these qualifications matter for us? In the last verse of our passage, Paul comments on the list of qualifications that he's just given, and he highlights two benefits that deacons enjoy when they live out these qualifications and serve well. Can we get the scripture? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, that's the first thing, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's the second thing. Two benefits that come to deacons who serve well. 
But each of these, I want to show you, has implications for all of us. And so in these last few minutes that we have, I want to show you just how this is the case, how these are relevant. Well, the first benefit that comes to deacons who serve well is that they gain a good standing for themselves. And the idea here is simple. If you serve well, you deserve recognition. You know, Paul says something very similar to this in 1 Timothy 5.17. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And it's the same with the deacons. The principle is still there. If you're a deacon and you are fulfilling the duties of your office well, Paul is saying, there is honor in that, approval from God. And that's important because the work of deacons so often goes unnoticed and it happens behind the scenes, right? Things like putting the traffic cones out for parking on a cold day like this, and keeping track of the church's finances, you know, these are pretty much thankless jobs. You know, personally, I feel convicted by this because I want to show more appreciation for our deacons. I think that's what the passage calls for. But there's so much that they do that I don't know about that I don't know what to thank them for. But Paul is saying to the deacons who serve well, he speaks with apostolic authority on behalf of God, you have earned a good standing. There is honor in your service to the church. Another implication for us from this, this principle isn't just unique to deacons that serving well is honorable to God. When you serve the church in whatever capacity, God sees your serving and he honors that. I think that's important for us to remember. You know, I think of Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points to several ways that we must not be like the Pharisees in how we serve the Lord. Remember, he says, when you give to the needy, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. When you fast, fast in secret. The instruction there, of course, is mainly negative. Don't do those things in order to be seen and admired by others. Don't be like the Pharisees. But there is a positive dimension as well. Because with each of those examples, Jesus says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, if you serve the church, God sees it all, even if no one else does. And he honors that service. He gives his approval. Of course, we as a church cannot use that as an excuse for us not to honor those who serve ourselves. You know, it's unfortunate and oftentimes tragic that church hurt most often happens in the context of serving, doesn't it? The people who are hurt most by the church tend to be the people who have been serving the most. We burn out. We feel overextended and underappreciated. Perhaps we even feel used. You know, I hope with all my heart that this isn't the case for those who have served at this church. But I'm also not naive. I can at least speak for myself that I can be downright lousy at showing proper appreciation and care for those who have served with me. But thankfully, Jesus is not like that. That's, that's what Paul clues us into here. Jesus sees every labor, every sacrifice that you make for him and the church, and he honors that. 
Well, the second benefit that comes to deacons who serve well is that they gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What's the connection here? It doesn't seem immediately obvious. If you're a good deacon, how does that make you more confident in faith? The answer is that diaconal ministry, as physical and non-spiritual as it may appear on the outside, like that Korean pastor who helped my dad's family, as physical as that ministry may be, diaconal ministry shows us a picture of the gospel. The work of deacons traces the contours of what Christ has done for you and me. Deacons who serve well are living examples, pictures for us to see of Christ's love, and especially, and this is the point, especially his service. When you serve, this this is for all of you, when you serve, when you do something like diaconal ministry or any kind of ministry, It's inconvenient by nature. You give up your time and your energy and your resources so that someone else can benefit. Oftentimes it can be thankless and it's kind of weird if you do it in order to be thanked and recognized as well, isn't it? And frankly, sometimes you will be called to give and give and give for others until you feel empty inside and spent. Serving can be draining there's also something glorious about it because it's when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the thick of that hardness of, of serving, that you start to realize that even though serving is unglamorous and tiring and often thankless, you realize that Jesus is familiar with that experience because he has served you to the uttermost. He has served you in the most important of ways. He laid down his life so that you might live and be free from sin. Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He came to serve, and he did that by giving his life as a ransom for many. There is no greater example of service than that, laying down everything for someone else. Jesus is familiar with the difficulty, the trials that come with serving. He he understands. And when you serve, especially when it is difficult, you do get the smallest taste of how Christ has served you. We come to understand Jesus' service to us in a deeper, more personal way because you've been there. You've walked the hard road that Jesus did of service. At the beginning of this sermon, I held up the Korean church's practice of calling everybody deacon as something that we should not do. And that was because we want to do justice to how the Bible talks about the office of deacon. But I also said that there's a godly impulse behind that practice, which says that All of us are servants in God's house, even if we aren't actually deacons. Even if we don't keep the label, friends, I think we as a church would do well to embrace, to embody that impulse, that attitude that finds us all to be servants in this house.
There is no greater deacon than Jesus himself. We are people who have been served in the most glorious way. It's only fitting that we become people of service as well. May God give us strength as we seek to do just that.